Well, good morning. As we embark upon the uh, great journey of going through the book of Romans, we just started last week, and we are actually still in the introduction to Romans. The first seven verses would, uh, I think, apply as an introduction to a letter, an epistle that it's called, that's written by Paul. And uh, we are on uh, quite a journey as we go through this book. We uh, pointed out last week, this is like the highest of all doctrine is found in uh, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. Um, So as we continue on, we uh, focus on Christ and the Gospel. That's really what Romans is emphasizing as well as all the rest of the books of the Bible. It's Christ, it's the Gospel, the Good News. We saw last week that the Good News actually was given in the Old Testament. So the Good News is not really new when we have the New Testament written. It has already been there. But Paul was called as a slave, first of all, how he introduced himself, he is a slave as the great position that he was in in Judaism and Hebrewism, uh, Pharisee of Pharisees, and yet God calls him a slave, and yet he's also called an apostle, one who is sent. So there are blessed promises that are given in the Old Testament that he is going to be relating to the rest of the world. And the Jews first would hear it, and then to the Gentile, as so goes the method. Uh, The prophets talked about the Messiah. That's what the Old Testament really is about, although really people missed the Messiah when He came. They saw Him as one who was going to lead the people against the Roman army to victory. That is not the good news. The good news is based upon the promises of God, not only in the Old Testament, but we see in the New Testament where these promises now are about the promise, which is what they were about in the Old, and now it's fulfilled in the person of Christ. The promise. He is the gift, isn't He? The promise of all promises. And so his person was highlighted as we looked at it last week in verses 3 and 4. His person we see as one who is the son of David and one who is the son of God. Of course, the ultimate is there is that he is the son of God and it's demonstrated through his resurrection. He is man, He is God. No doubt we are dealing with the incarnation of Christ coming as a man in human flesh, but yet it's definitely emphasizing uh, from the declaration of God because of the resurrection of of Him, of Christ, and through the power of the Spirit that He is going to declare that there is now freedom from sin. Jesus is God, and that is what we kind of left with last week. The Spirit empowers Him to do His work. The Spirit works through Him. So the Trinity is involved in the whole Gospel, no doubt. Matter of fact, God is the Gospel, is He not? God is the good news. The whole story of the Bible is the story of God or the good news, the Gospel. Even though the heart of it is the death, burial, resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins to those that He will call, the ones He has chosen already. And He died specifically for them, we know that. So what a Spirit-empowered ministry that Paul has is to go to all the Gentile world to go out and proclaim it to everybody. And God calls His people out of them. So what a position God has put all the believers of the church even today. As we look at it, we'll first look at Paul and his ministry in verse 5. And then 6 and 7, we'll look at the Romans 
the Roman church, the Christians, which also represents the body of Christ down through the ages, the true believers all the way up to our time. And so we'll look at quite the blessings that we have because of the good news of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's go into what we highlight the most here, and that's the book of Romans, uh, verse 5. It's the Word of God, I mean, is what we proclaim here. And we pick it up at verse 5 after talking about the resurrection of Christ. And as He is moved according to the Spirit of holiness, here's Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for giving us this truth. This is truth that You are speaking. You spoke already and it's been written, recorded, and You're speaking today to us even. As we read Your Word, as we study it, as we ponder everything, all of our thoughts on this this morning, May we see You as high and lifted up, the Sovereign Great Lord. Thank You for revealing who Christ is and our great need and where You have placed us as the Beloved and the Saints of God. Thank You for this grace that You've given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, what a privilege it is to get into God's Word again and just to actually read a little bit of a, what is called a, an introduction and to get this much power out of it, out of an introduction. Well, it's no less God's Word than anything else. This is how Paul introduced his great writing. And what a blessing it is that we get reading today as he wrote to the Romans who he had never met personally, but yet he wanted to go there. And so he pours out his heart as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's power, isn't it? And to be able to read it today and to know not only was it to the Romans, but for us too as we look at this and go through each phrase and just think on it. Chew on these great thoughts God gives the first word we're going to hit on is grace. And like uh, we've said so many times, we come across this word frequently throughout the whole Bible. It's in our thoughts. We have it even in the title of our church, Grace Community Church. It emphasizes the very work of God and uh, not us at all. We've always understood grace to be Unmerited favor. That's how many in the church define it. And we know that it is a gift that is unearned or unmerited. Uh, we're getting something that we don't deserve at all when we look at all these blessings. Salvation is totally undeserved. Matter of fact, it even goes more for the fact that God's favor is toward those who deserve hell. That's really what we deserve. And humanly, that's really it. It's what we deserve. We don't even deserve a chance to hear this gospel. We didn't deserve a chance to actually hear the gospel preached to us and to be able to respond to it and recognize that we needed Christ. That is the great news, isn't it? We don't deserve that. We never deserved it. It's only by His grace. We cannot choose God. We cannot 
love God without something happening to us? Well, the great word of Romans is grace. 22 times it's mentioned in this book. It's a great word that Paul uses constantly throughout his epistles. Uh, We are saved by grace, we live by grace, and we will have future grace for eternity. Uh, That is quite, I think, astounding to think on. It's Remember, it's totally unearned. Well, Paul didn't really understand that, even though he was the elite of the Pharisees as far as he was concerned. He was righteous. If anybody was righteous, it was Saul. He was a Benjamite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. He was trained and educated by the best scholars, Gamaliel. He knew the Old Testament. He knew it like the back of his hand, inside out. All the knowledge was there but he didn't know the Messiah. He knew about the Messiah. He knew about God. He saw Him as holy. We know that Martin Luther saw God as holy and he says, when somebody asks him, do you love God? And he says, love God. I hate Him. Because he knew what he demanded. He got to the point where God was demanding. Well, Paul really hasn't gotten to that point until God knocks him off his horse in a literal way, brought him to his knees. He humbled him because I've got a feeling with all that knowledge that he had. And being the elite, I'm sure people put praises upon praises to him for all that knowledge that was there. God would use it later. But the fact of the matter is, to him it's not saving knowledge even though he thinks he is. He's okay. He's a Jew of Jews. And he is righteous as far as he knows. A gift of God is what he needs. He needs the call of God. And he did not know grace. The works that he had done were good enough. So I'm sure he was very proud. I'm sure he could have been very arrogant at times. I don't know. But I can say people have a tendency to do that when they have great intellectual knowledge about the Bible yet do not know Christ. Is that possible? Yes, it is. And, matter of fact, it's sad that there are a lot of people who think they have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and they really don't know Christ. He had a lot of accomplishments in his intellectual religious pursuits, but he was without salvation. And he had been elected to salvation. He was not saved yet. And then God has a calling. Did it in a physical way, a spiritual way. Paul got to where he understood grace. He was blinded. He could not see spiritually. He could not see physically. God gave him back his physical sight, but something even better, he had now spiritual sight like he'd never had before. This is all grace. This is grace upon grace. And Paul, as he writes this, has to be thinking of his own experience of the grace that he had. And it all came through, as it says at the end of verse 4, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, he was against Jesus Christ because there were people calling Jesus Christ Lord. And that group of people were growing and growing and growing. And he was so concerned about it. This is how sold out he was to his religion. He was willing to persecute people, to have people killed because he was protecting his Judaism and his Old Testament that he thought was the end of all things. The only thing it was, was all of that was pointing to the Messiah, right? So he winds up receiving this grace that saves him 
that sets him apart, sanctifies him, and will ultimately give him life that is eternal, that goes on forever and ever. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul's attitude that changed desperately. In 15, 9, and 10, just before that, it speaks about the gospel that he died for, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then talked about all the people that had the appearances that experienced Christ's resurrection, that they saw him, and then he says in verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, now watch this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Three times in one verse, he emphasizes grace. The unmerited favor. All he well knew as soon as he became a believer that all of his accomplishments were trash and he later relates that in his epistles and he shows really who he was versus who he is now his righteousness is in Christ and in Christ alone it was by the grace of God Paul never ever ever forgot that he was always reminded and he is always kept humble all the way till the time that he was brought to the Lord. And you know, that is what happens to us. We receive grace and we live by grace and He humbles us more and more because when you really understand grace, you know that you don't deserve anything. And Paul knows that. And here in Romans, he starts off as a, as a slave. He says, I was called as an apostle. And then he says here, whom we have received grace and apostleship. We've received that. Um, by the way, when he says apostleship, we talked about apostleship last week. Paul's apostleship. And specifically one meaning there as he was called into the office of apostleship. We know that that office has been fulfilled. The word of God is completed. We don't have the apostles today that had that office. But loosely or in a general way we can say also that we are apostles. But be careful how you use it. I would rather use a disciple, a learner, a saint. There are other words because apostle can confuse people. But it means this in a general way. Ones who are sent. Uh, we are ambassadors. We are an envoy. We are representing the king. And we have a message from the king and we take it to somewhere or to somebody, He sends us, we tell the Gospel unadulterated in the way that it really truly is biblically, the good news. And we preach it to whoever, to all. And that's what Paul did. But he's saying, first of all, he was given grace for this, for salvation, for living it, and to be an apostle. What grace it is, right? It's all by grace. And he received that we also receive grace just like Paul does. We have a, in a, you know, quotes, apostleship that we are sent. We are missionaries. We are envoys. We are ambassadors with a message to take it to people to tell them what the news is. It's a good news that we herald, proclaim from our king. So he says apostleship. 
And he's going to preach it to the Gentiles. And uh, he was told that very early on. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5.18, he talks about a ministry. Uh, not only that Paul had, but also all Christians do. In 5.18 of 2 Corinthians, it says, Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we can take our ministry and take it for people to be reconciled to God through Christ. That's what our message is. We want to see them reconciled. God is the one who reconciles them. He's the one that gives them the grace, the faith, the righteousness, the repentance. And He reconciles. But we have the ministry. We are serving the good news to them. That's what Paul did. And he says, you all have that too, right? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Well, this is a simple gospel, isn't it? But there it says that we have a ministry and it's reconciling. That's what Paul did out of the position that they had been. Look in Acts chapter 26, verse 13 through 18, at the end of Acts and near the end of his ministry. There was still a way to go, but as it progressed, this is what uh, he wrote, or Luke wrote, about Paul. And actually, I'm going to go 13 through 18. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. This is Paul's story, okay? Brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kick against me. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Oh my, can you imagine hearing that? whom you are persecuting. It wasn't really the church so much as it was really Christ, the Messiah, who is Lord. That's what Paul hears. Oh, wow. But he says, get up. Stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you. Look at this. To appoint you a minister, a servant, and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which well, I will appear to you. Whatever else goes on with you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and their whole religion and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. What a ministry he had, and so that's what he did. He took this good news that they could be Reconciled, or they could be turned from darkness to light, that they could be taken out of the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, that they would be forgiven forever, that never would God hold their sin against them. Now that's what he was to do, that's what he did. God gave him that ministry, and that's what he did. He obeyed God. And now, this is where we get to a great highlight. I call it a great highlight, not just because I titled it this, but this is what it is about. 
as He brings the good news. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. To bring about obedience of faith. Okay, we're going to take some time on this a little bit and try to get to the point of it. It would be easy just to uh, pass over it and move on. But we can't do that because this is at the heart of the Gospel. And this is why this was to be done. The good news of the Gospel was to bring about obedience of faith. So what is obedience of faith? Very important point. Um, It's actually what we see as Paul making bookends here. He says it in chapter 1. The obedience of faith. We're taking the good news out there for obedience to the faith. The obedience of faith. So we go back to the last chapter. One bookend is chapter 1 and then chapter 16. Right near the end of the epistle found in verse 26 but now and he's talking about the gospel that he's preaching the mystery which has been kept secret for all those ages and now it's being manifested he's talking about the scriptures of the prophets the old testament it's now being revealed so here we go but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. There's a commandment that the eternal God has. And you know what His commandment is? The obedience of the faith. That is what it's about. You say, what what do you mean? What is it? Well, I'll tell you what it's not and what it looks like. And it kind of is, but really if you will look at the structure and what is being said here, and I'm not trying to tell you anything new because I've got a lot of support to give you to see why this would be what we're trying to aim at. We would think, well, it's to what faith leads to automatically or or what it is is that now people will do good works and absolutely that is true that's already a given because you're saved you will do good works you will obey God right I mean and so we're not taking away from that at all but the full I guess you can say many have thought that Paul's business was preached in order to produce obedience to the faith. And he'd say, well, yeah, of course, that's what it means, right? What actually? Actually is obedience that consists in faith. To say, what? Isn't it saying the same thing there? It's faith is the central principle here. Faith. We are commanded although we cannot work up our own faith, but it's a command to repent. That's a gift from God. It's a command to believe. But we can't do that without God, but yet there is a gospel call of obedience of faith. It means to listen to what God has said about His Son. James Montgomery Boyce puts it like this, unto obedience the very nature of which is faith. You know what he's saying there? Unto obedience. He's saying obedience, the very nature of obedience is what? Faith. Faith is obedience. Obedience is faith. You cannot separate them. Charles Hodge says, faith which is obedience. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a lot to say about this. He says, Obedience which consists in faith. 
Obedience of which faith is the central principle. We're hammering on faith, aren't we? People would say, well, it's where people will obey God. Well, sure, it's true. But to believe or faith is to be obedient. Faith is obedience to the Word of God. Faith, believing what God says. It's commitment and submission. I'm giving you a lot of thoughts here, hoping that you can tie these together and see how this is is not so much emphasizing obedience as he is faith. Your faith obeys. Robert Haldane, who wrote a great commentary on Romans, and most of these guys that I'm talking about here have super commentaries on the book of Romans. If you want to get a blessing, you got to grab one of those. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the best um, commentaries on Romans. There are many, though. I can say one is the best, but I will say that he has, like, I think 12 volumes of Romans. And uh, incredible it is. Robert Haldane uh, has one volume, but it's deep. It says that it signifies submission to the doctrine of the gospel. Submission to the doctrine of the gospel. John Calvin said, by stating the purpose of his call, here's the purpose of Paul's call that we just read here in verse 5. By stating this, Paul reminds the Romans his office as if he were saying, it is my duty to discharge the responsibility entrusted to me. Remember, he's a, uh, Paul was an apostle, and he's one sent which is to preach the Word. It is the duty of yours to hear the Word and wholly obey it. To hear it and obey it. We have that same message that they are to hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is connected with the truth of God. That is what we obey the Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this again, when the Gospel is preached, it must be preached not merely as an invitation to experience life to the full. Anything wrong with that? No. Or even to accept God's invitation. It must be preached as a command. A command. That's what the good news is. It is a command. He further goes on and says, we are commanded to turn from our sinful disobedience to God and instead obey Him by believing in following the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's a command. The Gospel is a command. Look in Acts chapter 17, a book before Romans. Paul is in Athens. There in Athens you have all of the idolatry that uh, most of the people there worshipped and the philosophers and such. And he goes on now as he addresses them. And, of course, he's going to give them the gospel as he always does. Look in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring or commanding, depending on what translation you have, same ideas there, to men that all people everywhere should repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That one man is Christ Jesus, he will judge. It says because he's judging, commanding everyone everywhere to repent, to turn from their sins and turn to God, to turn from their idolatry they were so much into. That was their life. 
a command for all to obey. Now, not all are going to do that, obviously. But the command is, there's a general calling, a general command, and there's the responsibility in all of mankind. Because that is what is in the good news. We have to start with the bad news first. Paul had to see the bad news. Is that his religion got him nowhere. It got him blinded. It got him in such a situation that he needed Christ. He saw his need. The command was there. So, you see that right there. He declares or He commands. That's what is to be done. That's what we are to give out. That's what Paul did. That's what he preached. The church today should start with that and then give them the living hope that it's Jesus Christ. That's where the good news comes in now. The bad news. They are evil. They are wicked. They are unholy. They need Christ. Christ is the good news by faith placing the faith in Christ, they will come to Christ. The idea is there. Obeying the Gospel means believing it. And bringing that into your life and submitting yourself to it. That is the idea of this kind of faith here. This is where your obedience comes in. We obey by that call to believe in Him. The obedience of faith. The obedience of that call to Him. Now there is obedience for the Christian. We as believers want to obey. That's an automatic, that's a given. We have a mark of obedience. We don't always do that, but that's what we do. That's a mark of a Christian we obey. All those who obey Him are in Christ. Uh, if you love Me, you'll obey My commandments. Uh, but it's not a matter of works. So we go back to our Romans 1 there, and he says this good news from the Lord is to bring about the obedience of of faith, that people would come to faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. Now there is where we used some of the people of God, uh, writers that have already passed away, gone be with the Lord, writers who are even with us now, John MacArthur uh, would be one that would go with that. And uh, of course, R.C. Sproul, what we just reiterated from that, Obedience of faith. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but that's what has been given to us folks, that they would obey, that they would see the command of what it is to be a Christian. And that means to rip them apart with the bad news and to give the palm of Gilead for the healing of what the good news is. They must see that they've broken God's law. And... Paul says, it's for His name's sake. It's for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ, of God. That is what it is all about. It's all for His glory. His name is all of the attributes added together. Plus, 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 plus. He's a faithful God. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He is... Uh, love. He is mercy. He is grace. All of those that make up who He is, that is about His name. So when you mention the name, it means everything. All that God is, the glory is His attributes that are added up. For His name's sake, for His glory, in order to glorify Him, to bring people to glorify Him and to glory in Him. That's why we preach the Gospel. How can we glorify Him? First of all, by believing in Him. And believing Him all the way through. It is such a gift, folks. The reason you believe in Him is because He granted it to you. He granted repentance to you. He graced you. Well, that's number one. That's about Paul. 
if we add all that up, it's we received grace through Christ, and I have my apostleship. That's all through Christ, and that's all grace. And the reason is, is that it would bring people to faith or obedience, that they would listen to it and come to that, and it's all for God's glory. That's what it is. Now, we come to the description of Christians. First of all, to the Roman church. When you uh, interpret Scripture, be careful, first of all, don't start asking, what's in it for me? You say, okay, who wrote it? Why did they write this? Who's he writing to? Those are basic elements in interpreting Scripture. Uh, It's hermeneutics. It's applying those hermeneutic principles. And so who's Paul writing to, first of all? Well, to the Romans. And he says it here, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. He's writing to the Romans. Paul writes a letter to these people. It's a church. And he says this, among whom you also are the called. And that word there is equal to elect. It's also called to the chosen. You are the elect. You are the called. You are the chosen. And that is such a key word as we see here because that is how we get into the kingdom of God. He says, among whom? You. You were obedient to the faith. You, because it's showing that really you were called. And we have obedience to that. Now, we are the called by God. We are the elect. We've been drawn to Christ. We are called by God to Christ. We are drawn to Him. We come out of that life of disobedience right into a life of obedience we answered the call how did we do that it was only because the calling came from the father he says hey this is what happened to you now since you're a part of the call to Christ you too go out and give this calling that God has He says, this is what an apostle does. And then he says, among you who? You also are the call to Jesus. Because you're called, wouldn't you want to call others also? Wouldn't that be what you'd want to do when you have something that's really, really amazing? You've discovered something that is truly tremendous. You want to tell people about it. Well, that's the idea here. We ought to carry the message to call others. We are sent for obedience to the faith among the Gentiles, among the nations. That's what happened to us. That's what we want to do. That's to the Romans. And you know what? We're not dismissed from this at all, are they? Because we're also the call just like the Romans. So that's how that applies to us. We are the called who have been drawn to Christ. The Father calls us to you be united to Christ. To be united. To be in Christ. As a result of the Father's calling, we are drawn to Christ. Now, let's go to John 17.6. This is the great prayer that Jesus had the night before He was arrested and then crucified. And that next day, we see in John 17.6, look what He Praise for the apostles here. I have manifested your name, everything that God is about, to the men whom you gave me. Father, I have given everything about you to them, the ones you gave me, out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word to keep the word is to abide to abide in the word is what believers do do you abide in the word to live in the word to remain to stick around 
to hear under and such. That's what it is all about. Now, staying in John 17, uh, I'll tell you what. We are going to come back to John 17 when we get into the love aspect, and we're almost there. Go to 644, John, would you? John 644. Well, verse 37 would be first good to read. Speaking about the Father giving to His Son these disciples. Does it mean just the disciples or the, or the, the twelve, the, the apostles? All that the Father gives me will come to me. Every last one of them. Does that mean that He gives everyone who's ever been born, every man, woman, and child to Christ and they'll all be believers? Of course not. But all that the Father gives... Christ will come to me. That is called effectual. That is called a certainty. This will happen. When God says, here's my purpose and it will happen, it means just that. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Anybody who comes to Christ desiring Him they have been given from the Father to the Son. Now we go to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a drawing. The Father who sent me draws him to me, Christ says. Calls him. The Father's calling is attached to Christ. And people who come to Him have their true life in their relationship with Christ. Now it's an effectual call because we go to Romans 8, which many moons from now will be in that chapter. Uh, at least the Lord willing, right? Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called and these whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's the golden chain, folks. One of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible. It starts with that verse 28, and He talks about all those who love Him, they are the ones who are the called. The ones who are called are the ones who have already been mapped out, marked out, predestined, predetermined, Proharizo before proharizo definite determination marked marked beforehand sometime in <coughs> space at time there is a calling for the ones who've been predestined <coughs> and he calls them to him. And that, we've already seen in John 6, and we see it here in Romans 8, these are treasures, aren't they? He will call us, and we will answer. And if you trusted in Christ, that's what happened to you. And He called you at the right time. You were appointed at a certain time. It was not early, it was not late. He called us. Acts 2.39 about the effectual call. This is pretty deep doctrine, folks. But all of us who know these things treasure these Scriptures. This is the preaching in Jerusalem by Peter. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, Jews, Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. This is for everyone. The promise is for you. The promise is Christ. The promise is the Holy Spirit working in you. As we see that, we receive His Word and 
and then we are committed to him and uh, so what you see there is that he will call his people to himself just like he said in John 17 and John 6 Romans 8 and we go to 2 Timothy 1.9 it's not isolated passage here this is foreign to most people of the church today because they are saying make a decision for Christ. You make a decision. You on your own can do this. We are to give the Gospel and let God do the work and pray that He would bring people to Christ when we give that Gospel out. But here's the truth of the matter. What we've just read. Verse 9 he says, talking about the Lord the power of God who has saved us and called there's that effectual word called us with a holy calling and not according to our works Paul right Paul writes this to Timothy he understood it thoroughly by this time but according to his own purpose that's Romans 8:28 and grace there's our word right which was granted or given us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God is not bound. As far as He's concerned, we're justified. We're not only justified, we are glorified. Glorified is yet to come, but God is not bound by time whatsoever. He sees us. He can see us in our glorified state. We imagine it. But that's about all we can do. But He sees us in that. It's already been done. That was all past tense, that uh, chain that we read in Romans 8. Would you say that this is an effectual call that is spoken about in Romans chapter 1? I say yes. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, not only the Roman church, but all the ones who are believers in Jesus Christ today, you are the called of Jesus Christ. Christ we are drawn to because the Father calls us. Verse 7. Oh, I love this coming up. To all who are beloved of God in Rome. Beloved of God. Ephesians chapter 2 Oh, you have to love this verse. After the first four verses, the first three verses, He condemns all of mankind. We are children of wrath. He just puts us into our place. He puts us into the place where Paul understood he was at. Paul writes this later, but in Ephesians 2, we walked according to the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. And then, then when two all formally... Um, lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of all flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That was our nature. Verse 4, But God. Good news. Being rich in mercy, overabounding in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Watch this. When did He love us? Even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow, just reading these verses bring excitement to us, don't they? What kind of love is this? It's a great love with which He loved us. He loved us even when we were dead in our sins. Pitiful creatures that we were. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says it, Behold, what manner of love is this? Behold, what manner? That word means what kind of form of love is this? I don't recognize this kind of love. It goes way beyond anything that I can understand. This is some kind of strange, foreign, inhuman thing. It goes beyond, transcends my thoughts of what love is. Behold, what manner of love is this? 
Ephesians 1.6 says that through Christ we have been accepted in the Beloved One. You notice it's not so much as accepting Him as the modern Gospel says, come and accept Christ. No, to go before the throne, you have to be accepted to go before the throne of the King. And we are accepted in the Beloved One. Beloved, loved. The Beloved One. He's the One who loves us. Uh, Romans 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's overflowing the love of God. The love of God. Why does God love us? We already know there's nothing good about us. We're lower than dirt. Why would He love us? What reason is there? Nothing inside of us. But, I'm going to give you the answer. You ready? Because He loves us. I have no idea other than that. Because it's not me. It's because He loves us. Well, we did the Ephesians 2.4, Romans 8.37-39. Again, His love. We've been talking about some bad news and all of a sudden we're talking about the love of God. Yes, I even talk about that sometimes. Should be talking about it all the time, shouldn't we? But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor by powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, now, the one I've, I was, I've been waiting for. I've got to put it on you. I know you've read it. I know you know it. But it's easy to forget. John 17, 22 and 23. Incredible. Unbelievable. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. I don't care what you do. Remember this. Is it John 17, 22? The glory which You have given Me, I have given to them. This is Christ speaking here. This is His prayer to the Father. That they may be one just as we are one. Perfect unity in the Trinity. That's what we want. I in them and You in Me. Why? That they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that You sent Me, and look at this folks, are you ready? And loved them, are you ready? Even as You have loved Me. What kind of love is this? That He would love Christ in that perfect unity and love us as much as He loves Christ. Not just a little bit less. As much as His Son. That blows me away. It really does. I I was trying to find something that would really be mind-blowing and that right there does it. He loves us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and he didn't give who the quote was from. He just said there was one who wrote this at one time. He said, this verse that we just read there, that he loves us as much as he loves Christ, this may be the most stupendous statement in the whole of Scripture. Now think about that. There's a lot of Scripture. I don't know if we could really say that or not, but I'll tell you what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and he says, I think he may be right. (laughs) When you start pondering on it, when you guys walk out of here today, ponder on this one little verse here. He loves us as much as He loves Christ to the ones that He calls according to His purpose. I, I don't understand it. And as we finish up our Romans here, I know that, again, I've gone over the hour that I always try to get maintained. Well, I think we've gone over that hour. You ready, though? You ready to end this up? 
says they're called, they're beloved to God, called as saints. Hagios, saints. The church is made up of saints. They're all saints, not just a few elite, a few elect ones. All the ones that are elect are saints. The word is hagios, holy, holy ones set apart from the world, the flesh, the devil, set apart from all of those things that we were and set apart to God, set apart from the world to God. We're saints because we are called. And we're called because we were loved by God. Do you see the sequence? We're loved by God. He calls us. We are saints. Starts with Him, doesn't it? He doesn't need any help for us being saved. But He calls us by using people to tell His message. To represent Him and His message. And command that everyone, everywhere, repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ that would take away their sins. And then He finishes with this great benediction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His introduction is now done. But it's inexhaustible here of what is said. We live by grace in every detail, do we not? And it's not just saved by grace, but grace always for eternity. Enjoy this grace. Rejoice in grace and rest in the peace. And I know we live in a world right now that's so troublesome. And it bothers us every time we hear what is actually going on in our government, our world, in our education system, and all throughout. No matter where you turn around, we see an upturning, and it upturns our stomachs, it makes us sick. But we shouldn't be surprised because this is the way of the world. And ultimately, it's actually part of God's plan if you can believe that He's absolutely sovereign. Somehow it works out in that. And here's what we need to think about. All around us, these troublesome times, is Christ right here. And God loves His Son, and He loves us just like His Son. And we can draw on Christ for all the strength we need. For everything we need. We know that it is not a peaceful time, but we have been reconciled and now we are drawn to Christ and now we have peace with God. And we have the peace of God. No longer is He angry at us. Or us being angry with Him. He reconciles us. We have peace with God. And now as believers, draw upon the peace of God. And all those things around us are really nothing. Because God has it under control. Your Romans 8.28 comes into play. He's working everything for our good. He loves us so much. Enjoy that, folks, this grace, this love, this mercy, and realize there's a lost world out there, and the only thing that is going to make any difference at all, not a new president, not a new vice president, not any kind of government, with all the conservatives taking over every aspect, that's still not going to answer I would prefer that kind of government, but, you know, it's much bigger than that. You see, the great gifts that we have, how needed they are. If you're a Christian, you have peace. How wonderful, how inexhaustible is the source of the supply we hear about today, the supplies are getting short on almost everything. Even food. It's hard to buy some of the most basic things sometimes. It might get worse. 
But we have supplies that we need, and believe me, that's what we live on. We live on Christ. This is just the introduction of Romans. We will get into the great doctrines of God as we continue on. And I think in those seven verses, Paul has given us enough to see that is overwhelming. Let's pray. Father, great holy God, you are awesome indeed. For through the person of Christ, we have everything. And Lord, we are looking here at what you've done in your conversion all by grace. You actually started this, at least as far as we're concerned, way back before the foundation of the world. You have it all in control. And here we are sitting in time, and one day our bodies will pass away, but we'll go to be with the Lord, we'll be with you. And we'll see what other great treasures that you have. It's all in the person of Christ. We are heirs with Christ. What great hope, what a living hope we have right now. And Lord, help us to take this living hope to a lost, dark, dark, evil world that we live in. And it really has been since mankind's sin. It continues on. We have given the most precious, have been given the most treasure, precious news that could ever be given, and it lasts forever. The Word of God. In your Son's name, we pray. Amen. You know, in in Romans chapter eleven, a great treatise. I'm done here, basically, but I want to give you a blessing. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And then in our text today, as we closed out there, what does it say? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for letting me be a part of the worship today. Uh, we have, uh, looks like, two very special brothers in Christ sitting out there today. And I'm going to take a guess. I'm not positive, but I'm going to take a guess that one of them has a name by the name of Spencer. Would that be correct? <laughs> Which one is Spencer? Would you please stand up? <laughs> Very good. That's an interesting way to introduce you, Spencer. But Spencer gave a call to us this morning. And, um, it was great to hear from somebody that uh, probably doesn't live around here. I'm not sure. But you said you uh, wanted to know about our worship, and, and I thought that was really great. What do you do at your worship? And, uh, of course, the, the Word of God and Christ revolves around all of it. It's every part of it. But uh, I hope it was not too foreign to you from where you worship. And apparently uh, it was an effectual call because I showed up here. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> do you know about founders by chance? Tom <laughs> Yes. <laughs> very good. Very good. And sitting by you, uh, I don't know his name. I'm telling you, uh, I'm really not a prophet. <laughs> My younger brother. <laughs> My dad, Russell. Russell, glad to meet you. It's a blessing for somebody who comes in that knows the Word of God and uh, likes the Bible to be preached expository.